Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I'm ready to go eat. Where are we going to eat? Dude, it's not till like 8 o'clock tonight. What? I know. Well, because I wanted to sit in on the thing. I I was trying to participate. You got to let the vendors harass the shop owners till 8 p.m. We need that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the other thing. It was a vendor show or whatever. That's awful nice of you. I know. (laughs) I regret it. I so deeply regret it. I'm so hungry. I want to go eat. (laughs) Do you you find the, the vendor halls, do they interest you these days? You go in, peek around, see what the cool stuff is? Um. Yes. Especially when there's time to actually talk to people mm. and like see. No, I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, my thing is, is like when I go to the shows, one of the things that I don't like is when they're so busy, like I see something I like, but every time I go by, they were talking to somebody. So I never get a chance to like understand the product. Or What's catching them. your eyes these days? Um, I'm, I'm still a tool junkie, right? I still like tools a lot. And so um, I see scan tools and I see things like that. And I'm like, dude. I really like that. I like technology. Yeah. Scan so, tools is that's where the the major leaps in technology are coming yeah. these days when it comes to the tools part. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, like OE scan tools about? and no, all the no. little creature they're getting tools. dumbed down. That's what it is. They're getting dumbed down. Yeah, they're getting dumbed down because they're like, hey, your cell phone can now run all of the OE software. Like we've got it now that you can take your cell phone, put the little dongle in. That's true. But software. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's the kind of stuff that that's good technology. Me. That that's what I'm talking about. Not really. Oh, yeah. You want them faster. That's yeah. for sure. You want them touch screen and fast. But I, for whatever reason, they're like, hey, we're going to use these tablets from seven years ago. And that's what we're going to run. The Samsung Tab A, that's going to be the the infrastructure for our lap, yeah, for our awful. skin tool. That's what they're all doing. Yeah. It seems like most technologies these days it feels like the point of it is to allow you to compete better with dealerships. Is that a good way that you think technology should be I, advancing? Because even with... Who's saying that? Are you saying no, that? No, I think... I mean, scan tools giving you the ability to kind of do some of the OE stuff that... Well, but I mean, hey, here's hey, the hey, thing hey, that... Hey, Stephen Faithful, how you doing from Auto Ops? I thought it was Faithful. <laughs> so there's been... There's you going to bring been, that up again? been wild debates on this, this for a long time. I, I just have to give up something. We hashed it out in the last podcast numb nuts over here is like we hashed it off air we fought for like an hour before we got on and yeah then i was like here, can you please right call back. me by my name please, please. no I, I can't listen i'm a boys I, jade literally stands at the front counter half of the time you don't laughing at me saying that's not how they say their name and i'm like it says right there boner and she says that's not <laughs> boner that's bogner oh but it has a GH. 
That, that's where that's where customer retention starts. It pronouncing does. their Call name correctly. Boner. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now, and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over thirty-five shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Yeah. Hey, Ms. Boner. <laughs> no, I, I'm, joking. I'm joking. If you say it with the accent, it sounds like it sounds homey and yeah. endearing. <laughs> but if I say, hey, Mr. Boner, how you doing? I look like an a-hole. You can get away with so much stuff You can stuff get with away with so much garbage with your stupid accent. So much. Mm. It's obnoxious. I, I, um, I think that they try to create an illusion that aftermarket scan tools can do what OE tools can do. Some aftermarket tools can do what OE tools can do, but the, the strategy they use is to use the OE tool through that yeah. tool, right? Um, I... You will never convince me that an aftermarket tool has the same abilities or capabilities as an OE tool because it was designed to do that, right? And so they, it might work on multiple different cars, but you got to think you're taking a tool and you're building it for a hundred cars, two hundred cars, right? And there might be different year ranges in that, but the concept is is very similar to the control structures the way they wire their cars, the way they set up the control systems is is similar from car to car to car. And they might, hey, it's just like, you know, you, you buy the new Samsung and there's two different processors you could have in it. Sure. Well, so they, they understand like, hey, these are my two options. So like I pull, out a, I pull a car up, for instance, like a Ford, and it, it has it built as data, right? I have the ability to go look at that because I'm paying for the OE subscription and I know that information. So I know what I'm doing, right? Whereas aftermarket scan tools are not like that. You know, if it is genuinely an aftermarket tool that is using aftermarket protocols and aftermarket software, they have to take the information from the manufacturer. They can't copy it, but they have to take it and they can buy it, but then they have to make it their own. They have to reverse engineer it to a degree. And then they put it in that tool. Well, if if you're gonna if you're gonna have a product that works on three thousand cars, how much time are you gonna put into that? And do you put so much time into it that it becomes obsolescent by the time it comes out because you practice on all these 3,000 cars to make sure it works? So now, that's what David would do. Yeah. 
I've been trying to figure out the whole how shops really think about the dealership model because even what we're doing with with online scheduling, that stuff was available. And when we when yeah. we did that auto ops, it was industry leading. It was available in dealerships five years ago. So I, I think there's I think there's fears in the in the aftermarket because we don't have the infrastructure to be able to handle um, conventional mass scheduling. So in other words, if I go out there and as a shop owner, the the first thing when we implemented online scheduling, one of the first things that we considered would happen is what if 50 people show up and schedule all at once? And I didn't realize that I could build rules and systems around it to where it didn't allow that. But I think that's the first thing shop owners think about is I'll have a bunch of people. I won't be able to explain to them the cost associated with what we're going to do. I won't be able to show them that there's a cost associated I won't be able to control the yeah. workflow in the shop. And that gets into the commoditization, which you had, which yeah. you had talked about before. Of, And that's where, yeah. Is that when when dealerships, are they commoditizing their service where it's just like, hey, easy peasy, we don't need to in, just in, come on in? And, in some ways. Yes. In some ways, yeah. Not some ways, in every way. They are 100% the, doing and, that. And if you, if you look at their pay plans for their service advisors, it is literally a system which says, you, we need you to produce. We need you yeah. to sell. That's how they are with the technicians. Everything yeah. is commission based in, in the dealership world. Everything is commission based. Yeah. So it's who can get out to the to the car the fastest. Who can get them checked in the quickest. Who's going to be able to work with the technicians the easiest to sell as much as possible. Everything is commission based. Every so everything is commoditized. Uh, I was reading what's this nuts's book. Uh, Chris Collins. He was mm-hmm. talking about how they introduced the quick lane into the dealerships. <laughs> The 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 whole intent behind adding the quick lane was to pack in more cars into the dealership and guarantee them a fifteen minute oil change, and say so they don't care. It's one hundred and twenty cars that are going to come in on a Saturday, and, and, and they're like, "Well, it's whatever." You, how are you providing a good service? Yeah, in fifteen minutes, the, the customer well, doesn't know. It, they just want the car in the door, so. The, the you, you, have to re- could- you have to remember the the main drive from every bit of research that I've done, the main drive, and they don't say this, right? And they don't even tell their service directors this. They don't tell their parts directors this. The main drive, right? What What's the money maker for the dealership? They'll say service, but it's equity mining for them. They want the data. That Why did they move that many cars? Well, because they every one of those is an opportunity to sell a car. Yeah. And so that they... You know, you look at some of these, you look at some of these soft or these uh, platforms that collect the data when we service a car. I know for a fact I have had clients who then got letters or promotions or telephone calls from dealerships in my area who then would say, We know you were talking about making repairs to your car. We've got a great deal going on right now. You can probably replace your car, have a nice new car, and We'll give you this for your car. It's going to come out to be a much better deal. Now, at the end of the day, it's not a better deal. And we're not going to say Carfax's name, right? We're not going to say that. I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, going to we're say not. That. We're not. Going I to wasn't say saying Carfax's name. Uh, it's probably not even Carfax. Uh, it's probably full throttle through Carfax or you, you know, know who owns. Quick question Carlos. on this side. Is that, is that what it is? Quick question on this side, and this is you know what you guys you get to yeah. join the Auto Ops product development team. I'll go back to because I actually want to ask a question about commission. But when it comes to working with data, if we're working with mm-hmm. data, especially for decoding VINs, yeah, should we go parts tech? I think so. Great. I, I um, parts tech and repair link have the best decoders out there. 
Right. right? Uh, and so the key for me is the more information I have when we decode. In other words, like are they not using are they using a different system than than what Carfax uses? I'm not sure. It doesn't Shopware use Carfax? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought Carfax was it. I didn't know that there were like yeah, there's different others. options. Yeah, there's others. That's what because we're we're trying to look for other options, especially yeah, we don't feel like giving up your customer's data to get sold a new car from a dealership. So yeah, we're always that the new stuff. Going back to what you're saying about, do you guys do anything based on commission at your shop? And if you do, it, or, oh, this is gonna suck. <laughs> uh Oh, so I mean, he but, does. Yes, I don't know. Here's the deal: is that I really believe that no commission is a great way to treat employees well. I think I think that's huge. However, um, it takes a special breed of employees yes. yeah. to make it work. And if you if you get into a situation, people will get comfortable. And comfortable and is not even right. Comfortable is not the word. Complacent is the word. Yeah, that they will expect more and more, and they will demand more and more of you but they won't ever produce and they will never look at it as I have responsibility for this. And so if you have someone who is wholly responsible for the revenue they make and, and it's crazy because you can look at this in a lot of ways, right? Like technicians right now are talking about, they want to be paid more and a lot of blue collar workers are. I think, Hey everyone, it's Lucas. I'm sorry to jump in, but I thought it was important to come and say this. You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. doesn't cost you a dime. We should say that right now because we talk about it that we looked at that study and and it's like what are what are parents what are peers recommending as a career and we thought that auto repair would be down at the very bottom of that because of the way everybody talks about it no it's slap in the middle and if you listen to everybody else they're saying the same thing about welding they're saying the same thing about these other jobs unless it's used in the context to attack automotive and say well welders get paid right but when you really dig in and you see the way that that others are paid Blue-collar workers as a whole want more, and I really believe that they deserve more. The consumer has to be able to afford more. And and the problem being is if we just give, 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 and give, you can over-give to the point that it's, A, dangerous for the employee. Trust me, I know. Yeah. I've done it. Because I'd rather take some than lose a job because no one's coming in. Well, it, it could be that, but it's also that it might not be sustainable for the employee. Right. And and we've had this huge discussion. We've upset a lot of people over the past couple of months because we're talking about things that are kind of like, um, you shouldn't be able to dictate what I use my money for. You shouldn't be able to tell me that I deserve less or more or any of that. But the problem is, is that 
you have to provide value for that, right? Like as a business owner, you know what happens if you don't provide value. I remember the Gary Vaynerchuk thing. You remember that? Gary Vaynerchuk's talking about the coffee cup, and he's like, it doesn't make a flying fuck if nobody wants your damn coffee cup, right? Like your product is a coffee cup, and if nobody's buying coffee cups, then you're going to go broke. That's how that works. As an entrepreneur, you've got to make something that people want. Yeah. And I think the, the big part on commission, and I've been thinking about this recently, we're hiring some salespeople. I think, A, you need to make sure that it's the type of person that is going to handle that respons- responsibility properly. If this is the type of person that's going to go sell crappy whatever, crappy service just to get a commission, then you need to reevaluate. And there's some employees yeah. that are motivated and will perform better for your company and for the customer, better on different pay structures. But I think the most key in part and where some people can get it wrong is where do you put the commission? Because if you yeah. just put the commission on like I have someone up front who just like sells this big job and they don't have to worry about it ever. Yeah. And it's if it goes wrong, it's this guy's issue down that. But if you tie it to yeah, something later in the process, you know, for us, a big thing, even when we're working with people is I want you to book a demo and have a conversation with yeah. the customer. I don't need you hard selling them. I don't want to put your commission in a way where it's like you're hard selling one just to close a sale. You're going to talk about features that may not exist. Listen, yeah. if you can get on a call with someone and have a good conversation, right. that's all I ask. So that's kind of where we try to put... Well, I mean, so it's money. almost like saying, okay, your commission starts three months in at, of their subscription. I pay you a monthly off of their yeah. subscription, right? And and so a, a system that... and and Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think commission is important, right? I, I really do. I think that there has to be some sweat equity involved because of situations that I've been through. Right, I really do. I, I've I, been through. You have no idea, dude. You have no idea. You have no idea. And here, here's the thing: commit. Uh, I, I hate commission. I absolutely hate it. I hate it in the automotive industry. It's ruined the automotive industry. So I agree. It does. Every every problem we have in the automotive industry, I think, can get tied back to some commission based. You're just saying because it gets sloppy. Someone trying to make a check up front. No, I mean it's it's. It's exploited the technicians to a certain degree. Uh, service advisors are now considered not advocates or advisors. They're considered salespeople. Mm, yeah, I agree You're not with that. selling hard enough. Go sell harder. What is it you're selling? Either car's broken or it's not. That's it. This car either needs a maintenance or not, or it doesn't. Like, what is it? It's A or B. It's not in between nuance. Let's get you into this. It's not like selling a car. You don't need the car. You don't need the car. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, you don't also, you don't need the Camry. You can buy the Corolla. Why do you need the Camry? Oh, I'm going to sell you on the Camry. I'm going to sell you on the Avalon. I'm going to I'm gonna get you up to the nicer package. I'm going to then sell you the extended warranty. You don't need the warranty, the extended warranty, but I'm going to sell it to you. You see what I'm saying? So I need to convince you that 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 little desire you've got in the back of your head to have the status, to drive that nice new car, to, to have the smell. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that that becomes the loudest voice in your head and then you act on it. Okay. That's not what's happening in automotive. It's, do you need spark plugs? Is it time for them? Yes or no? No? Then you don't need them. What am I selling but, you on them but, for? I mean, here, you know how mine works. I'm, I'm trying to base it off of base proficiency right i'm trying to base it off of you're trying to toe the line you're fence sitter (laughs) i'm I'm telling you that the only the only problem the only problem with going straight 
like set set pay and then something on the back end for the entire team. That's how I've structured it. Something on the back end for the entire team. If I win, we all win, and then we can all participate in the success. Okay. The, the problem with it is it's complacency. It's I'm making this much. There's no opportunity to make necessarily to make more without having to have a conversation with the owner and saying, Hey, I want to pick this up or, Hey, I want to go in this slightly different direction or, Hey, I want to move. I want to buy a house, whatever. And then that will then dictate the, the okay. salary that that whole structure has never happened before. It just doesn't happen. It's very, I, it's, but, but here, here's what I'm saying. So you work eight hours a day, mm-hmm. right? If you work eight hours a day, I believe you should be able to generate eight hours of production if we're billing properly. And if you have some type of something tied to that, as opposed to just getting paid hourly or a salary, I believe that because that the they don't see direct results that week if it's on the back end. And so those direct results that week affect and drive how they are. Now here's the thing is it takes the right person. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about what you're talking about with AutoWatch. And I'm thinking about Monique, right? What's interesting about Monique is Monique loves shopware. Shopware is Monique's baby, right? She really cares about it. She's a salesperson. Well, I don't think she's in product development now, but she she genuinely cares about the product. Monique's awesome. Yeah, and she genuinely cares about the people who use the product. And so she is an advocate for those people, and she wants to help those people, and she wants to help the product. And so giving Monique, let, let's take her as a, I don't, it's none of my business how she's paid or any of that. I don't know any of that. But my point is, is that if you take her and you provide her a commission, she will generate wealth based on her love for the product. And and it's just an extra reward for that. Okay, but that works. That works in software. Well, and I mean, here's my my th- my thought in the shop. And yeah, I do agree. If you line it up with the right person who actually loves the product, actually cares about the customer, give them a commission, and then it's just more people knowing about a product they should love. Yeah. In a shop two parts of it. I understand your thing and I think what you're saying is when people are forced to upsell things that they shouldn't be upselling that's where we get all these trust issues that have been yeah. built up in the aftermarket yep. so that's a huge issue something that we've come across and I've, I've heard a ton of shop owners be like I really like AutoOps and online scheduling because I have an advisor at the front when someone calls in and it's 4.30 and they're like yeah we can get you in in a few days where it's like I, I want to find a way to motivate people like my service advisors yeah I think commission is one way where it's like actually they're trying their best to just get someone in the shop who really wants to come in the shop. Yeah. So, and that's where online well, scheduling, they're like, I've heard shoppers be like, I, I don't trust my service advisor to like that, book, not somebody that just to book it that, up. That's my point. Like that person You're just saying that it just shouldn't be, be a service advisor. No, that person should be gone. And, and here's the thing, like that person should work at the shop that wants to go full commission. No, I don't begrudge these, these like shop fix shops that just go straight commission on everybody Everybody's there to sell. The technicians trying to sell what they do. The service advisors trying to sell, and everybody's got uh, a piece of the pie. And then that's it. That's just how they operate. That's fine. That person that can't be bothered to do the, the right thing and get that person scheduled in because it's four thirty, they're about to leave. That person should go work there, and not at my shop. Yeah. <laughs> because hey, whether you get them in or you don't. You get paid the same, but here's the thing. We all suffer if you don't get that car in the door. That technician's not going to have any work. We're going to run out of work, which might seem like a great idea, but guess what? In about two weeks, we're going to be strapped for cash. That car should have been in the door. That's a $700 sale 
because that's our ARO is $700. So if we get that car in the door, that's another $700 in the door. And you know, we need to hit these numbers for everybody to win. That should be all playing in the back of your head every single time that phone rings. And if it's not playing in the back of your head, you don't need to work for me. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. I, but I, the, the argument's always been, it's like, oh, that's a really small percentage of the person. Yeah. That, okay. Fine. It makes it, it substantially be. harder to properly staff a shop. That Yeah. You're not going to scale up to 10 shops. Like, dude, fine. I don't want to scale up to 10 shops. Maybe I just want to have one shop with four five, six, seven people like that inside the shop that just understand, Hey, I want to enjoy where I want to go work. I want to be able to go do cool things. I want to be able to travel around the country, go to cool training shows. And we're just here to fix cars and that's it. Like the owner's not running off to get his second bass boat. Like he's not, he doesn't care. He, he wants to provide for his family. I want to provide for my family. We're just here to all help each other out and do a good job. That's it. Yeah, I think it's and because I've been starting to hear more and more. There's definitely a little bit of a split on shop owners and I'm starting to see the divide more people are yeah. just like, listen, I want to have my one shop. I want everyone to enjoy. I want to travel around go train. And then there's the shop owners who are like, I want 10 shops. I want their whole drive. Yeah, is, whole. Is, well, I mean, there there are people in the world who that is their drive is that massive amount of success and that overburdened success. It's really interesting. I've got a really good friend who's uber wealthy, fantastic human being. And I've, I've watched him, and, and I'm not going to say that wealth is not important to him. He, he's, he's partially, he took a fortune and built a much larger fortune, sure. right? And so um, his, part, his business partner passed away, and he was like 48, had a heart attack, fall over dead. And he was like, dude, I, uh, I think I want to live my life. Right. And so like, if it means I make less money now at this point, this is a completely different argument of less money, right? We're talking about which $40 million jet do I want to make sure I don't pay taxes this year? Not, not do I want a $40 million jet, right? But, but I guess my point is, is that his humbleness comes back to the fact that, that he recognized it wasn't money that was going to generate happiness. It wasn't multiple locations it wasn't multiple businesses that would generate happiness and when i watched him kind of go through this transformation and we talked about these things i thought it was interesting to watch the fact that it was things that he was filling his life with that he enjoyed doing because he didn't want to be bored does that make sense oh yeah (laughs) as opposed to like chasing this success to this next level it was really just tasked to fill that time that he enjoyed yeah. something to tinker with. Yeah. I mean, that's for me. I, I don't, you know, I, I just like the challenge. Uh, yeah. I don't care if there's five bucks. I don't care. If there's 5 million bucks. It just doesn't really affect me. I'd take either, but yeah. the challenge isn't there. Then we'll see. That's fun. me. And, and like my wife and I got in this argument the other day because we're talking about multiple locations. And I was like, I really like the idea of once we maximize, if we maximize this shop going to multiple locations. And she's like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. I'm like, well, why not? And she said, because, you know, I, I think we do this until you retire and build the podcast up and do the things that you do and then retire and sell the shop and do what you want to do. But, like, I don't want to do the multiple shop things. For me, it's the challenge to know if I can do it. For me, it's the I need that next step in front of me. I need, like, something to go to. David is not even trying to 
do any of that. You just mm-hmm. sit at home and eat his honey buns. Now you don't eat And, honey and I think some of it, it's, yeah, it's where you find challenge because some people find the challenge of, the challenge is how can I find eight fantastic employees and yeah. give them all fantastic lives? And it's like that challenge where it's like the other ones where it's like, how many people could I support? Could I do it on the business side? Could I have, and there's, there's benefit of, Hey, I, I just employed 50 people. I mean, some people you yeah. can be driven in a positive way and have 10 shops. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I personally think enjoying the challenge is always a good way to go about it. Instead of looking at the dollar signs. Do, do you think we start in one place morally and end up somewhere else morally because of that? That's a good question. The answer is yes. I think it, some of it depends on on your your background and what everyone else is doing around you. Because I think, like my background, you know, I was living car to car, most uh, you know, rock climbing, skiing. Yeah. That was like really what I find fun. So like, yeah. I think if I if I strike it big and we're in fifty thousand shops, that's kind of what I want to go back to. For some people who it's like, if they start out young and their their parents were billionaires and they were crushing it and right. they had the same mindset, they're like, I want the challenge. It's a lot easier to fall back into like, okay, now I made my money. Look at what my parents and everyone, what I truly like doing before this yeah. was like living lavishly. So, I think it depends cool. on some of your background a little bit. So it's interesting because I've got this uh, client who's a rock climber and and he's a EMT and paramedic, and so. We're, we're kind of in like this hippie central, right? Like App State and that kind of corner is known for, for being like that. And it's it's cool because a lot of those people there, you know, and, and hippies kind of called a bad name, but they, if, if you looked at them, they, their belief system was, is like, hey, I'm going to enjoy life. Like my focus is enjoying life. And then whatever comes after that is what comes after that. And so like his thing was, is I want to do things that like, let me rock climb. So he sold rock climbing equipment. And he um, he became a paramedic, so he became more valuable when everybody went out to climb. So he would get paid to go to events to climb, and like when everyone got got hurt and fell, he could fix them up exactly. And so like his thing was is like to him, it wasn't even necessarily the money, but the money from that provided him enough opportunity to be able to survive doing what he wanted to do. But that he was content in that, right? He didn't need more than that. It wasn't a lot of money. You know, it wasn't a salary that a lot of people would consider. You know, we'd talk about technicians like, I need $100,000 a year, at least $100,000 a year. Well, you know, this dude's making 50 and he's content. And then on the other side of that, you see people who they want to go for more and more and more and more, and it never stops. Yeah. They always want more, and they always have to push to that next level. And I, there, there's a instructor um, who... Has, I've sat in some of their classes and they talk about this this process of bringing people into the shop. And they talk about the fact the shop is packed full, right? And it's four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. We close at five. And the shop is completely packed full and they're in their shop. And this gentleman comes in and says, I need an oil change. And the advisor says, hey, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to get you in right? We'll get you an appointment for Monday. And the guy says, no, I can't wait till Monday. I'll come back, you know, some other time or something, but you know, I can't wait. I'm going to go somewhere. And so they go out to the, the, this person who teaches a class. When that person walks out, they terminate their service advisor for doing that. They walk out into the parking lot and give the man a coupon and say, I'll, I'll do your oil change for free. Bring the car in and we'll do it right now. So now they disrupt the entire service flow and they bring the car in, they change the oil and they say, Hey, 
here's the deal is, is what you want to do when this happens. When, when you bring this car in real late, you start changing the oil and you tell them about one thing that will make them leave the car. And then once you tell them about the one thing that will make them leave the car, the next thing you do is you get them a ride home and then you make a report about everything else the car needs and call them and sell those other things later, right? After they have no choice and they're already gone. And, and it doesn't matter if they come back. You just want to get what you can get from that person right then. And they teach this in a class, right? I think I... <laughs> instructor uh, and so here, here's the problem for me is that i couldn't do that and that person didn't start there that person didn't start with that belief now i can see a little bit of that because now that i'm in a bigger shop i understand what it takes to fill a bigger shop i understand what it takes to pay for a bigger shop and i understand if you're gonna have multiple shops and you need that revenue like i could see why that would be important i could see that to a degree why put yourself in that situation? Well, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. Anyway, I was going to bring up Cameron Haynes. You, you familiar? I'm familiar. You are? I'm very familiar, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So that he talks about that in his book, that he, he has like a government job. It's like seven to three. He's a manager. But he talked about like stacking boxes. He worked in a warehouse. And he would go and he would bust ass, but the only reason why he was working is to make whatever money he could so he could go bohan. That's all he wanted to do was to go bow hunt. I'm a, he wanted to get really good bow hunting. That's all he obsessed about. So bow hunting. There's, there's two, you know, my uncle drove a truck for years and I went all over the country with him. And there are two that I can think of uh, food distributors and, and merchant distributors incorporated in rich foods. And so one of the things that one of the practices that they would use is there's palletized and then there's a situation where they stack the truck because they want to get as much in it as they can, so they'll stack boxes in the truck. And at this point in time, they would hire these people to stack those boxes. And, and I mean, these guys would go on and off if they were loading pallets. I mean, they would run four forklifts as fast as you could go. I mean, they're just like on and off, like fast. And if you walk by the back of the trailer, if you're not paying attention, you're going to get ran over because, I mean, they're flying. I mean, we're talking 40 mile an hour through the middle of a warehouse and just one right after another. And and so the first time I saw them stacking boxes, I mean, these are 50-pound boxes of produce, right? The first time I saw them stacking boxes, there were three African-American brothers in the back of this truck and, and they're refrigerated trucks, so they're cold and the warehouse is at like 30 degrees. And these cats are in here in short sleeves. And dude, they unload a 53-foot trailer in like an hour and 12 minutes. And that is absolutely moving. I mean, that's thousands of boxes. But dude talks about that. He's, yeah. He said he just wanted the challenge. Him and, and his buddy would, would dude, uh, yeah. team up and they, hey, who can who can unstack or stack as many, this many boxes in this much time? And then they would try to beat each other. And he said he did that for years. Well, so here's the thing is I, I'm like, I'm a young kid at this point. I'm like, holy crap, these dudes are like, killing themselves i mean these dudes are ripped and like they're in here and it's 30 40 degrees in here they're pouring sweat and they're just absolutely flying and i asked one i was like like is this what you guys want to do like is this this is interesting this is a new concept i guess <laughs> dude's like hey i want to show you something little man and he walks back and he goes over and he takes his wallet out when they're done unloading the truck he pulls out his pay stuff dude made like hundred thirty one thousand dollars stacking boxes Right, and he's like, get paid by the box, baby. <laughs> like that's how this rolls. I get paid by the box, 
And I mean, they've got that hustle. And there's a difference between somebody. I, I'm telling you right now, I've, I have got employees that I can watch them hustle and they've got the hustle and you can see it in their hours. You can see it in their production. You can see it in their quality. And then you can see some that don't have the hustle. And it's, it is the a hustle has experience. nothing to do with the pay plan. It doesn't have anything to do with the pay plan. Okay. It has to do with the individual. It, yeah, that's my point. That's my point. That's all I'm saying. The hustle is ingrained in the person. 100%. And either they have it or they I don't. I see that. I 100% see that. I, I would rather pay somebody a $100,000 salary that has hustles. I would. Yeah. There is definitely people, though, who enjoy who enjoyed the commission, who are like, listen, yeah. I, I hustle, period, no matter what, but I like seeing, I like seeing we've the, had people the comment, tie. Yeah, we've had people comment and say, I would never work for anything but flat rate. I'm not interested in working on anything but flat rate. Don't want it, won't do it. You, Those people are short-sighted because the minute they start having shoulder pain, all of a sudden they're like, this I industry can't. doesn't take care of us. Yeah, this industry, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> the minute all of a sudden they can't reach up over their shoulder like they used to or bang, you know, something, uh, pop a ball joint off with their with a sledge because they have elbow pain or whatever, and they're like, oh, man, uh, that that ends pretty quickly. Has, has Eric ever told you about when he, like, first realized that his hand didn't work? Has he ever told you that story? No. So one of my technicians hurt a nerve in his hand, yeah. and he said um, – He's like, man, he's like, I found out in this really terrible way. He said, the boss was across the shop. And he said, I, I had been like having some elbow pain. And he said, I was swinging a big hammer trying to beat something out of a car. And he's like, I hit. And he's <laughs> like, the hammer comes out of my hand. And he's like, I didn't even feel it leave my hand. And he said, I turn around and look. And he said, my employer is laying on the floor grabbing oh, his man. crotch as this hammer has like left him bruised <laughs> and damaged, you know? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, dude, don't lie to me. We know it wasn't an accident, right? Yeah. That stuff can well, mess you up. Not to ruin the party. I gotta go. I gotta go sling. I gotta go sling some auto ops. The vendor show. Right. I don't even. I don't even get a commission. What the heck? Well, you, that's. Uh, I hate to tell you, buddy, but uh, there's this thing called a PNL, and your commission's <laughs> at the bottom of it. But honestly, Eliza, I think that is one of the best ways to always because I think it's good to always reevaluate. Why am I doing this as much as you can? I've had moments because listen, everyone gets a little, oh, oh, look at this dot. And yeah, you do have to step back and having good people around you. I have good people around you say, Steven. Yeah. Back up. My mom sits me down for breakfast. Steven, let's take, let's take a step back here. Dude, look that, at why that we're is, doing it. That right there is key because yeah. I mean, if you knew how many of those situations we talked about that deal in that video where they were talking about President Trump. And he said, like, hey, this is a really dangerous situation for this man because he's he's got a persona that people won't stand up to him and tell him that he's wrong. And then on top of that, he's got a situation where uh, everybody's looking up to him and he's uber famous and all of these, like, little scenarios come together to where the unraveling of a human being can occur. And he wasn't saying it would occur, it should occur, anything like that. I'm not a political guy, but he basically said, like, if you are a person that nobody can approach and tell you that you're wrong – that becomes a dangerous situation, yeah. you know. Hundred percent. Thank you for being here. Thanks for thanks for chatting. Always enjoy it. Yes, sir. Okay. Good show. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. 
Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.